You've selected a show from the Podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. Welcome to Disability After Dark, the podcast feed shining a bright light on all things disability. With your host, Andrew Gerza. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Hey everybody, welcome to this new episode of Quarantine and Chill, the podcast within the Disability After Dark podcast feed where I interview disabled people all about their experiences with the new reality and the new normal and the new pandemic that is COVID-19. And I really think it's important that we have disabled voices here talking about this stuff, and I wanted to use my platform with Disability After Dark to shine a light on these conversations. So this is episode number eight of Quarantine and Chill, and let's get into it right now. In the episode, I say number seven, because who the fuck knows what day it is anymore, and like, like I've been, I've been isolating and, and social distancing for so long now, I don't even know what day it is ever, so I, I definitely said episode seven, it is definitely not episode seven, it's episode eight, but um, I'm really excited about this episode to tell you all about who it is, because I really admire them. They're a friend of mine and a longtime listener of the show, their name is Maggie Widdham, and they are a stroke survivor who had a stroke about five years ago um and we talk about her experiences with the stroke what that was like for her and how the uh, how a lot of the language around being a stroke survivor mimics a lot of the language we're using around the pandemic right now we talk about her experiences she's an actor with a disabled theater troupe um and we talk about her experiences being a disabled actor in the pandemic and how this might change and alter things for disabled people in the arts. We talk about her brand new documentary called The Great Now What, where she details her stroke. It's coming out soon, and I'm so excited for that. We talk about a lot here in this 38 minutes we have together on this episode. It was a really, really important episode. Maggie is such a great guest. I really enjoyed having her, and I really enjoyed having her share her perspective as a stroke survivor and what the pandemic means to her. She also goes into why it's important to slow down and why necessarily slowing down is not a bad thing and how the pandemic is forcing all of us to do that. And and even though disabled people know to slow down, that this is now, now making everybody understand why slowing down can be important. So it was a really good interview, a really fun episode of Quarantine and Chill. And I'm excited to bring it to you right now. So here's episode eight of Quarantine and Chill with my friend Maggie Whittem right here on Disability After Dark. Maggie Whittem, hello. Hello. 
Hi, it's so nice to have you on this seventh episode of Quarantine and Chill, the podcast within Disability After Dark. I'm so excited to have you here because I know you've been a long-time listener of the show, and it's just like talking to our old friends. I'm really happy you're here today. <laughs> awesome. I am really glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Anytime. Can you introduce yourself to us and tell us who you are and what you do? Sure. My name is Maggie Whittam, and I uh, had a stroke when I was 33, um, 38 now, and it left me with numerous permanent physical disabilities. And so now I'm in the process of making a film about my story, and I'm an actor with a theater troupe that uh, only casts actors with disabilities. That's amazing. And spoiler alert, I saw a rough cut of the documentary recently, and all I'm going to say is when this shit comes out, it's going to, it's so good. So, so good. <laughs> um, yeah, I was one of the lucky few you reach out to to, to review the, the first rough cut, and I got to say, at the end of seeing that film, I literally was in, I was in tears both in like, just like, it's so nice to hear other disabled stories. And to like, you know, as a disabled person to watch a disabled story that isn't centered around like sadness. Like your story is not like sad stuff happens to you in the story, but it, it isn't centered around your life is tragic. And I really appreciated that. I mean, I'm going, this is, I mean, you're on quarantine and chill, so we're going to get into COVID in just a minute. But, but there was so many parts of the film where you as a character were so compelling and so like I'm just excited for it so keep your eyes and ears can I, can I say what it is keep your eyes yeah. and ears out for the, the great now what it's coming out soon 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 uh, and so really really you know we don't have enough disability documentary film that is based that is centered in like disability justice and um, and like disability just the experience of being disabled we don't have enough of those so uh, this was a really refreshing film but let's jump right into COVID so you said you're a, a stroke survivor that left you with multiple disabilities can you elaborate for me on how these disabilities impact your day-to-day -day? sure so I had a hemorrhagic stroke in my brainstem which was caused by a blood, a blood vessel malformation called a cavernous angioma and one in 500 people in the U.S. has a cavernous angioma, and they can cause minor problems like numbness and tingling. They can cause bigger problems like seizures. They can cause huge problems like strokes. So I didn't learn that I had a cavernoma in my brain until I was having a full-on stroke. And, you know, some people have these and they don't ever know it because they don't ever act up in your life. So um, I had this huge stroke and it left me with a number of deficits. I have a paralyzed face on the right side. I have multiple visual impairments. So if I'm reading anything, I need it to be an 18 point font at least. And uh, the left side of my body is really uncoordinated and weak. So I don't, I can't do much with my left hand. Um, Me neither. So I feel you there. 
um, and I, and my leg is weak. And so like I can walk, but I walk with a cane and, uh, you know, for a while at the beginning I was using a wheelchair and then I moved up to a walker and a quad cane and then a single point cane. And that's what I use now. Um, and I have a lot of very intense nerve pain in the left side of my body. So I don't have any sensation or uh, of touch in the left side of my body yet. Bizarrely, I, it feels like it's burning all the time. Oh. Um, and somehow like freezing and burning at the same time. So and, it's almost like having a cold pack on your body always. Yeah. It's like the worst cold pack ever. And it's oh. like bone deep. <laughs> oh, no. That, um, oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and I, uh, I have, you know, there's all kinds of things you can end up with after a stroke. And I, I have major fatigue problems, so I can't work full time anymore. I do work a little bit, and uh, but I get tired really easily. How does that? How does? Because um, you know, with with COVID nineteen and all the all the quarantining and self-isolating and social distancing we're doing, you know, our views on work have really shifted really quickly. How do you, as somebody who's kind of had to navigate that in the last few years with being a stroke survivor, how do you feel about the whole world having to do that now? (laughs) Well, I think it's, it's, you know, it's, it's really hard for people, but maybe it's kind of good because you know suddenly have being forced to slow down um is not necessarily a bad thing uh and that's definitely something that i did after my stroke you know my life was go 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 beforehand it was totally like over scheduled i was busy 18 hours a day and like i felt you know pretty superior about myself for being one of those, you know, quote unquote, high achievers. And then, yeah. <laughs> and then I was forced to slow down and I couldn't, I could only take on maybe like 20% of the, you know, the kind of workload that I used to. And I felt pretty darn bad about that for a while. But I think that's just ableism. You know, I, I think that I felt ashamed for not being able to work so much because that's the kind of stigma that's built into our society. And, and now everyone has to slow down and hopefully they can take a moment to reflect on that and realize, you know, slowing down is not a bad thing. And the idea that you have to produce, produce, produce all day long you know, it's, 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 it's a structure that's going to like work everyone to grind them into the ground eventually. <laughs> like there, there's no like heroism in, in being the most productive person ever because you're not spending time with your family and people are doing that now and they're spending time on the things that matter more. So, yeah. Yeah. So is there, is there a comfort level for you that all this is happening? Like, yeah, it's scary and it's, and we'll get into a little bit of why it's scary in a minute, but is there like, for me, there's this weird, like, oh, the whole world has stopped. So I, it's okay if I stop. Like usually when the whole world is going and I have to stop, 
kind of like what you said, there's a big shame in, in having to stop and having to, um, and having to say, I can't do this. But now that no one can, there's this weird sense of calm that has come over me. Yeah, I mean, I see uh, huge parallels between this experience of the pandemic and my experience of my stroke. And we actually just released a short video um, for the Great Now What that compares the pandemic to a stroke. And, um, you know, it's just bizarre how many similarities there are. You know, you have this instant where everything stops and life is suddenly totally bizarre and you don't understand it and you want your old life back and you know you keep asking when can I work again when can I do xyz again when can I you know walk again when can I do this or that you're constantly asking yourself that as a stroke survivor so like everyone asking when is everything gonna be open again when is it gonna happen it's the same thing but also people talk about the new normal and that's this phrase that is always used in in stroke recovery and and the reality is that this idea that things will just start again on a certain day is not going to happen you know we're in a new reality now things have changed and the idea that you can go back to what it was before this event of the pandemic and the, or, and the stroke is, it's, it's, it's a fantasy. And, and it's, it's hard to digest that. Boy, is it hard, you know, cause I strove and strove. I tried so hard to get back to where it was before my stroke happened. Um, but it, the reality is that some things may not come back. And the, and so just to that particular point, kind of the same question, like, because you've had to come to terms with the fact as a stroke survivor that, um, that, you know, some things may not come back. Is there a sense, is there, again, that sense of calm of like, well, some things might change forever now and I'm going to have to just move on or. <laughs> yeah, I would say so. You know, I, I already had to undergo pretty enormous traumatic life change this is five years ago now for me. So that event was really hard and um, it took me a long time to wrap my head around it. But now experiencing what is going on now, it is less traumatic for me. I mean, I guess there's a silver lining there because you're not like the whole world is going through grief right now. And like we're we are also going through grief, but it's almost like it's intense, but not maybe not as intense for someone who's never experienced experienced ableism like we had before. Yeah, yeah, and I think that grief is a powerful emotion and an emotion that a lot of people avoid because it can be so uncomfortable and that is a consequence of this event is that there is this moment where we need to reckon with our grief. And the irony is that a lot of us, a lot of us 
<laughs> deal with grief by pouring ourselves into our work. And now, <laughs> you know, not a lot of us can do that. Right. That's a great point. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I never thought of it that way. Like, I'm, I've always been a freelancer and I've always worked from home, but I have to say there are some days for me, even as a disabled freelancer, that I'm like, you know, I don't want to be productive right now because I'm grieving the loss of, like, I can't, like, I'm grieving so much right now. I'm grieving the loss of I can't have sex. I can't have, like, partners over. I can't access my body. Like, I had to put a catheter in for the for the next few months just because who knows how long this is going to go. So, like, it's weird how one day I'm like, oh, everything's fine. And the next day I'm like, this all sucks. <laughs> yeah, it's a roller coaster. And I have been doing okay. And I have also been doing really not good on some days. And and it's it's hard because, yeah, the the kind of frantic pace of the world before was easy to slip into that and have that distract you whether it's work or something else, you know, and, and now that distraction is not as easy. Yeah, totally. Now, now you're like, you have to sit and you have to sit with your demons and that can be weird. That can be weird. Ooh, yeah. 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 Uncomfortable. Um, so let's go to a little kind of a, a less existential, <laughs> less heavy question. Um, <laughs> so what for you, Tell me in like rapid fire succession, what are some of the best parts of social distancing? And then what is the worst part of social distancing for you? Um, the best part, I would say there's two things for me. Number one, I have a recumbent tricycle. And so I can get outside and move my body and it's springtime and sunny. Um, and so that's a blessing. And it's something that I can do that I can go out and I don't have to interact with anyone and I can stay far away from people yeah. um, if I need to, you know, and uh, there's no need to interact with anyone when I'm riding my trike. Uh, I also have enjoyed the fact that I've gotten to participate in a couple of things, you know, webinars or meetings that are suddenly accessible to me in a way that they weren't two months ago. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm a political person. And so I, I've joined in a couple of meetings that I may not have been able to do back in February. And so that's, that's a cool thing. Um, the hard part about it is that loneliness and isolation are very difficult things and and loneliness is bad for your mental health and is bad for your physical health you know human beings are social creatures we're not meant to be separated from each other like this and i am a hugger <laughs> and you know i don't my life is a lot quieter since i had my stroke so i don't do as much but now i'm really not doing basically anything at all just grocery shopping and you know occasionally I can see a friend or something but I can't give that friend a hug and so the isolation is difficult and I, uh, that's that's the toughest part yeah I would agree with you I'm very I'm a very so like mm, I'm 
I'm social in that like I like to go for friends with coffee. I like to go like out. I like to even just walk around. And people keep saying, "Oh, you could walk around, just wear a mask." And in my head, I'm like, "Yeah, but what if somebody coughs or like what if?" And it's so part of me is like it's so silly because so many of us with disabilities have you know are are say have been sick before this pandemic and you know one person coughing may not give you COVID, but the fear that this thing has so quickly instilled in all of us is like just interesting to navigate yeah it's it's a tough time definitely for sure um i wanted to ask you because you're an artist and because you're somebody who works in the arts let me just pull up the actual question so i know what it is you may, the question is so as a disabled artist how has covid impacted the way you connect with the arts and then do you think the pandemic will alter the way we as disabled people are included in the arts going forward well um you know we talked about my documentary film a bit at the start and i've been working on that project for a couple of years already and this pandemic shocking and and terrifying and um so many things <laughs> but uh and I was wondering like is my film even relevant anymore at the beginning of this but you know the question about disabled lives and are disabled lives worth living and the idea that disabled lives will not be saved if you know there's a triage situation and there aren't enough ventilators made me feel like my film is more important than ever yep. to complete. Totally and, 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 you know, beyond the film, I work with this company that casts actors with disabilities and it does live theater. And so the theaters are all shut right now. And you know what's going to happen <laughs> in the future and this this company is so important because it really uh it's a disability affirmative theater company and it's i love a, that terminology i've never heard it ever yeah, exactly. i've never heard it ever and that's so awesome wow yeah and it's just so gratifying and validating and empowering to be a part of one of their productions. And so I worry that because of the pandemic that we won't be allowed to gather in the way that we were. Um, the theater company does also make some some video content and you can yeah. see their, their like YouTube videos, but it's not the same, you know, the, the, the center of the theater company is, is live theater. And so I, wor I worry about that. Uh, do you think, you know, because we're all talking about access now, we're all talking about moving things over. Do you think that, and I don't know how this would look, this is literally just a question that popped in my head. Do you think that there's a a, a possibility of digital theater? <laughs> um, you know, I don't know. I would say that there's an enormous and incredible amount of adaptation that is going on right now. And it's, a great thing to see because 
you know, people with disabilities are amazing at adaptation because the world is not built for us. And so it would not surprise me if this theater company adapted in a really innovative way. Um, like I'm just I, waiting I for, like I'm, I'm just waiting for Zoom to be like, hey, we started a theater company. So <laughs> we started like a, a playwright company. Do, have, do a Zoom play. Like, I don't know. Oh, you know, I don't know. I don't know what the future holds. They did just release a video that was like a parody of a musical theater song. Um, and it's about how you should wash your hands and stay six feet apart. <laughs> uh, and they had uh, different actors from the company all joining, you know, from their Zoom things and they edited it all together. And it's yeah. horrible. Um, do you, because all of this pandemic, do you miss like, do you miss the artist, the like ability to be in a room with other artists as a disabled artist? Absolutely. Um, you know, I feel like I encounter a lot of judgment and some hostility and certainly some pity, you know, as a disabled person, a visibly disabled person in this world. And, and you walk into a rehearsal room with family theater company and it's the opposite of that. It's like, you are valuable. You are an artist. You have something incredible to contribute and we are here to lift you up and support you and help you be the best artist that you can be and so walking into a room with all of those people is amazing and not being able to do that right now makes me really sad i can imagine like i like i saw the cut of the film and i saw the the clips of you performing and i was like I was like, she, she must be, and I was watching it during the, you know, a couple of weeks ago during the start of all this, and I was like, she must be clamoring to get back on stage and do the things, and she can't right now, and, and that's got to suck. Yeah, yeah. Um, as somebody who's a stroke survivor, I wanted to ask you something that I've been asking all of my guests on the, co- on the quarantine and chill episodes, because I think it's important that we get this perspective, and for non-disabled people listening, they hear they hear these words quite plainly. I want to ask you, Maggie, what scares you the most about COVID-19 as a disabled person, particularly as a stroke survivor? And what do you think would happen to you as a stroke survivor if you were to contract the virus? So my stroke didn't affect my lungs or my heart, and I have a pretty good immune system. Um, But with this idea of medical rationing, I do fear that I might be discriminated against as a disabled person. Yeah, but the I, thing that, that scares me the most is thinking about what would happen to me right now if I had my stroke right now. And I was in intensive care for 16 days and I was on a ventilator for nine days. And I had that nightmare back when this whole thing started about having to go back to the hospital and there not being a ventilator for me. And it's just such a traumatic event to go through, period. And being in on life support is, is traumatic. But hospitals all over the country right now are not allowing visitors. So someone who was with me all the time when I had my stroke and 
you know, thinking about being in intensive care by myself, um, being in the rehab hospital and trying to learn how to walk again by myself, <laughs> you know, when you've had a stroke, you have to muster every ounce of, of motivation and drive in yourself that you possibly can. And you need all of the love and support that you can possibly get from your friends and family. And to think of going through my stroke and rehabilitation time alone scares me. You know, oh, wow, that was so powerful. As you were saying it, I was like, I, I almost started to cry when you said that. Um, that gave me all the feelings. Uh, but you were talking about, you know, having a dream. And we were talking, it's weird in the media right now, we're talking about COVID dreams and all these, all these weird like subconscious things that are happening to the majority of us. And I had a dream a few weeks ago where I, I was back in the hospital and I was in there during the pandemic. And because nobody knows how to assist people with disabilities on a good day in the hospital, usually um, the dream is that I pass away, not, not necessarily because of COVID, but because the hospital is overrun by pandemic and no one remembers that Andrew needs help and Andrew died. So it, <laughs> You know, it's a dream that I've I'm had. I'm sorry, a couple I laughed, but it's dark times. <laughs> it, it's. I mean, no, it's. It's. I laugh. I laugh at it too now. But it's. A, it's so dark because it's true. Like this is what's. This is what scares me is that we don't have. The resources, in place before a pandemic, to give disabled people, a voice in these situations. And so what's, like, what is happening now, like. Right, right. And like, uh, and oftentimes you need a friend, a family member, friend with you in the hospital to make sure that they're caring for you in the right way. Yeah, exactly. I I understand why they have to ban visitors right now. You know, it's, it's in everyone's interest to slow the spread of the disease, but it's, it's really scary to think about being in hospital by, by yourself. Yeah, it's something that, and it's funny because I usually, when I go in the hospital, like it's not a place that scared me because I'm used to medical intervention. I'm used to, like, I've had that all my life. But now the idea of going into a hospital, it actually, <laughs> I'm like, no, no, I don't want to go there. No, 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 please, no. Because cause, cause you just don't know what's going to happen. And that, as a disabled person, that scares me because usually in a hospital, there's a, again, there's a weird sense of calm that would come over me. Because I'm like, oh, I'm disabled, don't know what to do, and we'll figure it out. But this time, it's like, I don't want to go there. Something will for sure happen, and I'll be forgotten. Yeah, it's it's tough to think about it. And and also to know, you know, I, I, I feel so much gratitude for the people who took care of me. And, and, but also knowing that they are really traumatized by this work situation as well. And they're overworked and overstressed and they have too many patients and, and, and thinking that this is also, it's just, it's bad for everyone. It's bad for the economy, but you know, I don't think that's the most important thing. I think it's the human toll. Yeah. The mental health toll on disabled people, on healthcare workers, on, 
you know, people who are separated from each other. I, and I totally agree with you. I think, I think the human toll is really the most valuable thing. And I also think like for the disability advocates who are saying, there are some disability advocates and I, and I respect their position, but I feel like those who are saying, well, see, we told you so. I'm like, that's not what, the, that's not what we need right now. We don't need finger pointing and name calling. We need you to say, okay, you know what? Yeah, we did tell you, but I'm a disabled expert. Let me guide you through this. Let me, Yep. tell you let me let me give you my expertise if i can as opposed to like i'm disabled and you never did this for me but i get it but that doesn't help anybody right now yeah yeah Speaking and we all of, need to help each other yeah right now. exactly yeah it's what we have to do um speaking of disabled of disabled people what piece of advice would you as a disabled person give to other disabled people going through this right now uh, I would say that there is power in honesty and openness and vulnerability and, and speaking up and saying something about your life and how this is affecting you and your fears, you know, it's, it's, it's valuable. It's something to put out there and, and, and be vulnerable and their strength and vulnerability. And yep. that's what my whole film is about is like being honest and open about an experience in the hopes that people are going to learn and build some compassion. So I would say, say something if you, if you're comfortable, say something. I, I agree. I think, and I think, you know what, put it out there, put it out in a tweet, put it out on social media, put it out where people can read it and see it and deal with whatever the emotions that you're having are. And I think, that's why a lot of a lot of the stuff I'm doing right now is that's why this that's why this particular show quarantine and chill is happening because I was like I want to hear from disabled people and I knew that I that we weren't getting enough disabled voices having a platform for an hour or like however long it is to sit and just talk about how they feel about it and I was like I can do that I can set that up why don't I just do that so really what you just said about having vulnerability and having a place to do that that's why this is here Exactly. And like, I, I was sitting on my bedroom floor listening to the guests and just connecting with it so viscerally because these things need to be said. Yeah. And, and thank, like, thank you so much for listening. And for when you email me and say, I love, I love these episodes, I was like, good. Someone is listening and it's impacting someone because I think, I just think we need more of this. And this is the time for disabled people to share whatever story they have. And maybe just maybe this is the time that other people will listen to us. So, I mean, I think, I think it's just, I think this is actually as terrifying as it is. And it's like, as the news cycle keeps giving us create like scary numbers, there's also another side of it. That's like, we can be not to sound inspo porny, but we can be resilient here. And there's so much we can do with this time that is of value. And I mean, one of the thing, one of the really proud things that I'm doing right now is talking to you. So I'm very excited that we get to do that. Yeah, and like we have a lot to offer people in terms of advice. You know, how do I deal with <laughs> deal with suddenly being a homebound person? And and you know, I think we have something really valuable to add to the conversation. Yeah, I definitely, I for sure think there's value there. So, what also, what advice would you get on the flip side of that? What advice would you give to non-disabled people? who are experiencing this grief and this trauma for the first time, um, 
for the very first time, what would you kind of say to them as both as a stroke survivor and somebody who's going through this pandemic right now? I would say that, um, you know, similar to me after my stroke, the thing you can do is reflect. With all of this time, I hope that you reflect on life and realize that, you know, this whole system that we're in right now (laughs) and our own bodies, they're fragile. The system is fragile and we should try and like build as much understanding and compassion as we can between each other and and be vulnerable with each other because you know it's it's kind of a house of cards as we're all seeing right now and i think that people especially non-disabled people which i was i wasn't not disabled for the first 33 years of my life you know you think that that you're kind of invincible and um, and that you're invulnerable and to recognize and reflect on your own vulnerability and the vulnerability of the world around you is a valuable thing. And there's one, there's one non-COVID question that I wanted to ask and all that. Um, you, you, you just said you, 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 you know, became disabled five years ago and you were not disabled for the first 33 years of your life. So I am just curious, what was your experience, what was your like views on disability before becoming disabled? Well, I, um, I had worked as a personal care attendant for a guy with cerebral palsy when I was in college. And so I had some connection to disability, um, but I didn't have, you know, I didn't have a family member. I wasn't disabled myself. And so becoming disabled was not easy for me. And I I fought it (laughs) big time. And um, I think that was my internalized ableism that I, didn't see myself and didn't want to see myself as a disabled person but you know time has helped me and i'm now like really proud of being disabled one of the and again this is a non-covid question but i just there's so much rich stuff that i I could sit and talk with you for like three hours but (laughs) i want to ask you there's something in your film where you were invited to join that theater group you're part of now and they want they were like courting you to be a part of it and you were on the phone with I think your mom and you were saying like you know what they they want me but I don't know if I want to be them and I don't know if I want I don't know if I want this and that part of the film was where I watched it twice and I literally broke down crying because I was like I don't know how many times I've been there where I have been offered something to be part of another disabled thing and I have been like I don't know I'm not I don't feel like I belong here I'm not like them I don't feel like I want to be a part of that yeah, I mean, I never would have thought that I was going to be a part of Family Theater Company before. And, and my first time uh, being involved with them was was a difficult <laughs> moment for me in my life, for sure. But now I love them. <laughs> I think they're great. No, that's awesome. I just, I love that, that moment of you. And you'll see, listeners, when you see the film, that moment where you have to confront your own ableism like on the phone and you can see in your face you can see you trying to wrestle with it and being like this is a good thing Maggie 
do it. It's good. And the other side of you is like, no, no, no. I want to just run. I want to, I want to not do it. So I love that because you could see that reality. And I think that discussion, and again, when you watch the film listeners, you'll see this, but like, it's so valuable to see that struggle on your face because so many of us with disabilities have that struggle and trying to explain that feeling to someone else they don't get it they're just like oh why don't you just do it just just go on and do it but to see you go through that i was like that's the moment in the film and i was like, okay i love this character this character has <laughs> i'm one over now because i've been i've been there so i just wanted to let you know that i'm really proud of of what you put out and uh, just to be able to get a chance to see a rough cut i was i'm just so excited for it well yeah when we release the film We'll have to do another episode together and we can talk about it. Oh, yeah. We'll do a non-COVID-related episode. <laughs> this was great. This was really, really awesome. Um, did you have any questions for me? Um, I mean, I, I just want to say that it's more of a statement, but like, I really appreciate you creating this space for disabled people to talk to each other about this pandemic. Um, I think it's been really valuable. Thank you. And it means a lot from you. Um, thank you so much. This was great. I want to make sure that everybody can follow you and your work, Maggie, because it's fantastic and much needed. How can people get a hold of you? So uh, if you want to look up the film, it's, the great now what on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and the website is thegreatnowwhat.com. Please join the email list, um, and we'll let you know updates. The film is hopefully going to be done by next year. Um, and then, if you want to follow me personally, I'm Maggie Whitum on Twitter and Instagram. I love that your your Twitter right now is Maggie. Stay the fuck home with him. <laughs> Well, no, it doesn't say fuck. It just says stay home. <laughs> oh, I thought it said stay the fuck home, and I was like, yes, amazing. Um, but this but was... it is all caps letters. It's Maggie, stay home. It's <laughs> <That's> so awesome. <laughs> Maggie, this was so great, and thank you so much for taking the time today to sit down on episode seven of Quarantine and Chill. Um, you're awesome, and thank you so much. Oh, thanks for having me. Anytime. We'll talk, we'll talk again when your film comes out. Yes, sounds okay. good. All right, we'll talk soon. Thanks, Maggie. Okay, Disability After Dark listeners, thank you so much for listening to episode eight of Quarantine and Chill, where I sit down with disabled and chronically ill thought leaders and talk about their feelings, their fears, their new reality with the pandemic, with, of course, a bright light shining on the disabled lens of all that. If you want to be on an episode of Quarantine and Chill with me, you can write disabilityafterdark at gmail.com with the subject line quarantine and chill and we'll get you booked in thank you for listening to this quarantine and chill episode and we'll be back next time with more content thanks friends bye copyright notice disability after dark was presented created and produced by andrew gerza and crippled content creations music was by music by space robot scientists any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music recordings, are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright Notice 2020